Hello and welcome to the official West Virginia National Guard podcast. Today we are sitting down with Colonel Todd Fredericks, the state surgeon for the West Virginia National Guard. For everything with the West Virginia National Guard and the great state of West Virginia, be sure to follow us on our social media links and thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. Doc, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and uh, give us your name and your information and your title and what you do for the West Virginia National Guard and what you do on the civilian side. Okay, um, I'm Todd Fredericks. I'm a doctor of osteopathic medicine. I'm an associate professor of family medicine in the Department of Primary Care at the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. I'm a tenured research physician. Uh, my focus on research is veterans' healthcare communication, uh, how we improve uh, the understanding of civilian providers when it comes to caring for veterans. Um, in the military, my role is as the state surgeon, uh, the chief medical officer on the Army side. Uh, of the National Guard, and um, I, uh, I I generally oversee the well-being of about 4,000 soldiers in terms of, in normal times, of of readiness and immunizations and shots, and for those people who are, are ill or injured, whether or not they can stay in the Army or have to leave. And so normally, it's, I'm, I'm a lot of an administrator. I sign a lot of paperwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now that's, that role's shifted. Yeah, so now I have, a, I have a really cool title. Which is what? I'm the Joint Surgeon. The joint surgeon. Yes, Kermit's so, the Theo. He's the he's the public health uh, educational officer. So Kermit's like the tactical operational doctor. I'm like the strategic doctor, I guess. Gotcha. Yeah. So can you maybe explain what what we're doing so far? We've really been ramping up efforts here in the last probably twelve days or so from a West West Virginia National Guard perspective. But can you give our audience a little bit of an understanding of what that's looked like from from the medical perspective? Well, it, it's it's not just medical because it's a joint effort, right? So the, the role of the National Guard is in times of national emergency is to basically uh, serve the governor at his at his bequest, right, and say the governor has a need and this is the need. So we have the need and the need is protect the people of the state of West Virginia from this thing, uh, SARS-CoV-2. You people know it popular as COVID-19. That's actually the disease, but we'll just call it COVID-19 for general. And our job is to do the best we can to help support the public agencies and the people of West Virginia in battling this disease. And there's two things. To, you, you want to know how I see that strategically? Yes. There's two phases to that, Holly. There's sick care and there's health care. Okay. Okay. The hospitals do sick care. Well, let's do health care first because that's easy. That's what the most of the people are having to deal with. Health care is keeping people healthy. So social distancing. Hygiene. As we talk about this, we have Clorox wet wipes sitting on the desk here. And I wipe the phone down, I wipe my hands down, I wiped everything down. So I'm doing health care, keeping us from getting sick. Um, I want to put a shout out to the Southridge Walmart people because they put a nice queue up that keeps people distanced as they go into Walmart. It also controls the flow, makes it easier for people to wipe things down and not be in a rush to go get toilet paper. I have to remind people that the toilet paper factories, the Lysol factories, and the Clorox factories did not explode. They're still making that stuff, and there's going to be plenty of it. But controlling the distribution so everybody gets enough is important. That's part of healthcare. So we talked about social distancing, hygiene. We talked about employers knowing how to properly employ their workforce to keep them healthy while they're building our bridges. They're still doing that while they're driving their trucks, while they're getting things moved around. That's the healthcare piece. So the West Virginia Guard is putting that stuff out. This is how you stay healthy. This is how you avoid getting sick in the first place. Food to children, right? We don't want people going out desperately looking for food 
if we can help do that. So part of the healthcare piece is West Virginia Guardsmen working in conjunction with public officials to distribute meals to school children, making sure that they just come to their bus stop. They don't have to go far away to get food. Healthcare, okay. One of many efforts. Sick care. The sick care is our hospital structure, our clinics. How do we support them, right? Our logisticians, the supply people, are moving thousands and thousands of pieces of equipment and trying to make sure that those pieces of equipment go to the right place at the right time so that not any one place has a ton of it they can't all use and, and another place has none of it. It's balancing that, that loadout appropriately so that the sick care operations can occur. And that's the papper mask you hear about. That's the N95s. That's the gowns. That's even the simple masks that people are making at home. There's a whole effort to design those properly, and our folks like at the rigger shop and the aviation life support shops that have sewing machines, sewing those pieces of equipment that go to, pe to go to a very specific spot that's really important, but it's not the hospital, right? It's a different spot, and logisticians in the West Virginia Guard are fi figuring out how to get it to the right place at the right time. So when we talk about sick care and health care, one of the things that people have really been highlighting is the flattening of the curve. So yes. can you explain why that is so critical for us to flatten the curve here, not only in West Virginia, but across the nation, across the world? Okay, so that's principally to avoid crashing the healthcare system, which um, people people who know me know that I'm, I'm Eeyore. I will, I will take anything and I will say, it's awful. This is why it's wrong. This is terrible, right? <laughs> Which is oftentimes why I'm not invited to parties. So, because I just, I'm a downer, okay? I'm going to say that will never work. But as a general person, I'm an optimist. I will find the good in almost anything. So I won't go into that right now because it's not to your question. But um, if I tell you that I'm an Eeyore, the person that prepares for the worst, hoping for the best in me is watching the some of the New York City large urban metro area healthcare systems starting to collapse because they're overwhelmed. They're inundated. That is when you hear, say, Dr. Slamp or Dr. Marsh or Dr. Acton in Ohio, if you're listening to this in Ohio, because a lot of us live over the over the river back and forth. What you're hearing them say is trying to reduce the number of people that end up having to go to the emergency room for serious illness by really emphasizing healthcare, hygiene, social distancing, those things, proper management of your food, right? Is that packaging contaminated? What are the reasonable ways of, of cleaning things from the store so we don't get sick from that? So they don't end up in the sick care system and making the sick care system have to work harder, those hospitals and clinics that are trying desperately to deal with people that are positive or have severe uh, respiratory problems. That's, that's that flattening the curve. The more people that do the healthcare, the less people get sick enough that they have to go to the hospital and ultimately may, may end up using those ventilators that we need so badly and, and the resources that the hospitals have. Does that answer your question, Holly? It does. It okay. does. And so we're in West Virginia. We're about um, 12 or so days into really pushing for the social distancing. Yes. We just had the stay-at-home order yes. recently, um, implementing a lot of these hygiene practices. Yes, I like them um, all. Yes, they're great. But so we're coming up on a weekend. We're starting to get into a battle rhythm here in the West Virginia National Guard. I think so. What is the key message that we want to drive home to people, not only in the West Virginia Guard, but across the state of West Virginia as we move forward? Do more. Do more. Do more. Do more. More, more is more. More is better. 
right? Stay home. Stay home. You know, yesterday, my niece, who is planning on getting married, uh, was over with my wife talking about accelerating her wedding. And there's some reasons for that. I won't get into that. But they had a conversation out on the patio. My niece doesn't live with our small cohort. My cohort is my wife and my old, my youngest son. My oldest son, I'm very proud of, is a warrant officer in the West Virginia Army National Guard. He's going to be a helicopter pilot. He's down at Sears School. I, I haven't talked to him in three weeks. I have no idea if he knows anything that's going on because he's probably being beaten about the head in, in resistance <laughs> training right now. It'll make him a tougher dude. Yeah. Um, but my cohort is three people, and we're very cautious about who we interact with. But we had an interaction yesterday with my, my niece, who's like an adopted daughter to me. Um, but it was a 10-feet distance. It was six or eight feet distance, something like that, on the patio, outside, in the sunlight, having a conversation. So people will get used to that. And I've told people a standard size pickup bed from the tailgate to the window is six feet. That's a good... Right? So most people know what a pickup looks like in West Virginia. Absolutely. Think about what the pickup bed distance is. And if you stay that far apart from people, you're really going to reduce your risk of, of cross-contamination and getting each other sick. That means you can go out in your yard. The weather's getting better. You could, you could open your garage door and sit in the garage if it's raining and have a nice chat and keep up with one another. And, and you'll be good. It won't be great. Not like you always wanted. You can't go hug Aunt May or, or Mama or Papa. But you can go out and you can have a nice conversation and not feel like you're a complete completely in a cave. Absolutely. We've been referring to it at my house as the Romeo and Juliet conversation since we have a the balcony a balcony porch. And if we want to have friends over, we'll just chat like Romeo and Juliet would have. And you know, that's not unlike it used to be. People used to go sit on their front porches all the time, right? We Some of us still do that. We have front porches. A lot of people don't have front porches. But people, neighbors that come over and they'd sit on one side of the front porch. You can have a nice conversation across the front porch. You can be 10 feet, 12 feet away from each other and still talk to each other. We so, yell across the holler where we live. That's right. Hey, on their porch. Stay away from me. Stay yeah, away. No. We're just checking. We, I have elderly neighbors. I've been checking up on them, making sure that they have everything that they need as well. If we can go out and because we're considered essential employees, um, if we can provide groceries to them, we're, we're taking care of our people and, and checking on them every day. Yes. And you know what? I want that. That's a good point. I want people to think about not shaming folks now that are coming out with lots of bulk goods out of Sam's. Some of them may be shopping for family members or elderly, okay? So if you see someone coming out with eight carts of toilet paper, that's probably a hoarder. But if you see someone coming out with three or four packages of toilet paper and some staple foods and that kind of thing, they may actually be shopping for neighbors and friends. And so try to be kind to them because I've heard these stories on social media where people are being yelled at and they don't realize that it might be someone that's shopping for three or four families. And that's actually a good practice. If we could do that where you get a grocery list and you go in for what you need, and that's it. And you put it all together and then you go distribute it. That's less social contact. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think that's just a great underlying message in general is just be kind to one another. We're How pretty good at we, that in West Virginia. We are. I, I wholeheartedly agree in West Virginia. We are the perfect population for taking care of one another and being um, kind and generous. It's funny when I listen to the briefings in the morning because I call in a lot of times. So, so my home is about two hours from where I'm at now. And so I have to get on the road. So I'm on the I'm on the phone listing. And then if I get there, I listen to the brief. Or if I listen to the brief, I hear a bunch of rough men with with southern with with Appalachian drawls who are talking about making sure school kids get fed. Not that there are any rough women in there too, but they don't have the same they don't have the same same testosterone laden voices. I'm, I'm just saying we are really good as a people about caring about one another. And one of the things I can say about the West Virginia Guard is that. 
we are a family of people. We're a small enough organization that we can pretty much know most everybody at some level. And most of us have been here for a very long time. We get to know people and we just really start thinking of them in very, very dear terms. And the people of West Virginia, thankfully, this is, this is a silver lining in me, thankfully we have Flood Duty every year. Thankfully we have the National Jamboree and the World Jamboree. Thankfully we have all these really big operations. So we have stand-up operation centers. And so it's not unfamiliar to us. Absolutely. We can, we can roll in and say, okay, it's a different problem, but we kind of know who does what, and we'll figure it out, and we're going to get mad at each other, but we're all family at the end of the day, so we'll figure that out, and, and, and we'll work through it. And I, and I think that we're probably in some ways a little better off than some other National Guards. I think so, too. Because of our relationships. We have, we have seen a lot of that, too, because of all the state duties that we've done in the past. And yes. We, those relationships are already established. We know who to call in what county. And that's the best thing about the National Guard is that all of our service members live here. And if they don't live here, they live across the border, whether it's in Kentucky or Virginia or Ohio. Um, but they're here to take care of one another. And, and, and that's just the phenomenal thing about being in the National Guard in general is we are getting the opportunity right now to do what we signed up for, which is take care of our state and our people. I also think, because I have, uh, you and I both have a view that maybe some soldiers don't have. We have leadership that is not afraid to think outside the box. Absolutely. And we have leadership that is not afraid to empower us to take risk, right? Go do this, make this happen, come up with good ideas, and then they'll listen. I feel that way. And um, we got to be careful about how much information we give back to them. But in general, I feel very, very fortunate that I live, I work in an organization where I have a senior leader and leaders that basically come in and say, we're going to look at this problem from a different way. And we're going to figure it out. For instance, TAG's approach to looking where are we going to be at in four months? Where are we going to be at in six months? We're already planning that. Like, how do we make sure that we're ahead of this game continuously to reduce the amount of deaths, to be more responsive, to help the public, the citizens, and the government of West Virginia do as well as it can do? That's a really, that's a really cool thing to be part of an organization like that. It is. It's inspiring every day to come to work. And even though this is one of the... I'm sure for you, it's one of the most unprecedented things we've ever done because it's an unprecedented event in our lifetime. We've never felt, we've never faced anything like this before. Um, but to come to work every day and know that there are all of these people who are up every hour of the day and oh my the gosh. night putting in effort, looking for outside of the box solutions to problems that we're facing in, in our state that maybe could even be pushed through the national level. I mean, it's... Yeah, that's a, you have segued nicely into a good point. You're a good interviewer. So the, here's the deal. Um, people may see some change in pace, but it's necessary. We talked about sick care and health care. Now we need to talk about marathons and sprints. Mm-hmm. When a flood comes, the flood comes in 24 to 48 hours, maybe longer than that as waters rise further downstream. But generally speaking, the biggest impact is, is felt within a week. And then it's, we got to start digging people out. We got to get their drywall down. We got to get their houses taken out. We got to get them into shelter. Recovery operations. Re- recovery operations. That is a sprint. This is a marathon. Mm-hmm. And because it's a marathon, I can't remember when I came on state active duty. It's probably been at least seven or eight days. And of course, I was working on it. I was getting an email at the beginning of the month. I was at a conference out in Vegas. Uh, on the 3rd of March, and so here we are on the 26th or 26th, 26th, 27th. So I have been working on this problem now for 24 days, every day. 
I, I leave, we, we finish up in our joint working group chats, and I still am looking at things. I'm gathering data, I'm trying to get metrics, I'm trying to think about it. And it goes from you know 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. in the morning when I wake up until I fall asleep on the couch at 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and then we start it all over again. And then we're dreaming about it. And then we're dreaming about it. And our spouses are seeing it. Those of us who are asymmetric, like unlike you, who have a spouse that's also in the military, but my wife is not in the military. She's a military wife, even though she runs our house like she's the commander, and she is. Um, it's taking a toll on our families. Everybody here is working 12, 16-hour days, thinking, moving, working, trying to coordinate. And it is important that we start slowing that pace down so it's sustainable. And that's why it's important that people think about the marathon. We need to get work done. We need to do it smartly, though. It's better that we come up with a really good solution that takes us two days to arrive at than a bad solution that takes us an hour to arrive at. Because it really wastes our energy. And we need to be thoughtful about that as leaders, um, as organizers, first-line supervisors, that you need to manage your workforce. You need to think about, I need a really good solution, and if it gets to me in 48 hours... Now, this is... If the, if the adjutant general says, I want an answer in an hour, that's a different situation. But if we're working on a project... We have two days or three days to get it right. We, we do not want to put together bad work. We want to, it, it's not good if it's fast, if it's bad. It's got to be good. So slow is smooth, smooth is fast. That's right. And we're getting into a good operational rhythm here too, a good battle rhythm, yes. we would call it. And uh, we're seeing that across the state now as we go into what we would consider sustained operations. So um, we're pushing out information every day. We're gathering new facts. We are trying to map out... Um, where we think this thing's going to go. And we know that we're we're not even at the worst part of it yet. No. Can you talk about that, maybe? Yeah, you know, I, I, I hesitate. I would just f- close that last little bit with a 70% solution. As a planner, I tell the teams I work with, I just need a, in the first round, I need a 70% solution. It's not, let's say the piece of equipment isn't pretty. It's not perfect. Americans like to make things pretty and perfect. Our engineers are really good at that. But it takes, it, it's not necessary right now. We need a 70% solution. We'll revisit it, make it 80% on the next round, make it 90% the next round, and we'll get there. So if, you, if, the, if in three days you have a 70% solution that's good, that's probably good. As, as, don't beat yourself up overthinking it. If it seems to make sense and it's working, we'll refine it as we go. Um, how's it going to go? This is hard to talk about because... I'm I'm a little obje- I'm I'm more objective. I'm a physician. I have spent almost 30 years of my life looking at disasters and war zones and and mass casualties and terrorist events, and so I can separate myself emotionally from from the price of that. Mm-hmm. You are going to see more deaths. You're going to see more older people die. You're going to see more younger people die. Why? We had a conversation about this with a friend of mine, uh, a young officer. He's an ER doctor. He's on active duty, and he was talking about how bad his generation was. I said, no, it's just you're, you don't, you were, you were raised differently. I'm 50 some odd years old. I was raised in a really boring part of life. I had three channels of television. I had no computer. I had no internet. I read. I worked in the shop. I rebuilt my own car's carburetors. We didn't have fully computerized everything with instantaneous on-demand everything. We weren't used to that. So to be at home and be bored, that's kind of what it was my whole childhood, mm-hmm. right? Young people today, we see more deaths in young people because it's really hard for them to socially distance. 
They don't like being disconnected. They don't like not knowing what's going on. They don't like participating. It's a really difficult thing for them to learn. But if they don't learn it, what is predictable is that we will see continued increases. We're going to see continued increases in cases. You know, we just talked about it today about how Chinese test kits reliability are not great, mm -hmm. right? People want widespread community testing. Well, that's great if you have reliable testing. Absolutely. Because if we get a false negative and you're really positive for COVID-19 and you have a false sense of security going out walking around to people that really don't need to be exposed, you're part of, you've, you've inevitably become part of the problem. Mm -hmm. So it can't be fast. Uh, there's a, I'm going to get to the more doom and gloom stuff. There's a principle in engineering called the engineering triangle. And at each point of the triangle, there is a word. One is good, one is fast, and one is cheap. Good, fast, and cheap. In any engineering problem, you get to pick any two. You can't have the third. So it can be fast and good, but it won't be cheap. It can be uh, good and cheap, but it won't be fast, mm -hmm. right? People need to think in those terms that these are not easy problems. And because of the way this disease has hit us, because of the way the disease is, deaths are going to go up. And they're going to go up substantially. And cases are going to really go up in the next three or four weeks. Um, I don't have the latest epidemiology modeling, but I would say that I'm very confident with where the state of West Virginia is right now. On this day, in this snapshot of time, we seem to be doing the right things. People are doing the right things but you can expect to see more and more frightening numbers. But we need to put that in perspective too. Yeah. We are a country of 330 million people that is roughly 2,000 miles north to south at its widest point and 3,000 miles across. Plus, we have encountered territories in Alaska and Hawaii. We're a really big country. I mean, we have a lot of people. We do. So when you have 76,000 or 100,000 cases, Think about what that is in terms of 320 million. Mm -hmm. Every one of them is a concern, but in terms of total percentage of the population, right? Mm -hmm. When you see deaths, let's say the deaths are 100,000, which is a horrible thing. It's tragic. But for people who are living in fear, understand that 100,000 in a population of 320 million, that's not everybody. Most people will survive this. Most people will get immunity to it. Most people will go on to their lives and they'll have a really, really sobering memory um, that will change their behavior. And again, I want to emphasize that is not to, that's not to be, diminish the significance of people dying. Mm -hmm. I'm just speaking in pure numbers and it sounds cold and I don't want it to sound that way at all. But I want people to see, again, I told you, I'm an eternal pessimist. I'm Eeyore. But I'm going to be able to also look and say, individually, it's awful. But in terms of the whole country, the percentage of people who actually die from this is going to be a lot less than we, what it could have been. And, and that's, that's hopeful to me in a, in a sober way. And the way that we keep those numbers down even more so is by implementing and following through on the guidelines that have already been established. Healthcare. Healthcare. Social distancing, social distancing, hygiene, hygiene, minimizing your contact with groups, staying within your own group. Staying home if you're sick. Staying home if you're sick. Don't go to the emergency room. Don't go to the emergency room. Oh, by the way, the emergency rooms are conspicuously empty mm -hmm. in many places. Nurses are commenting about this, saying there's no one in our nursing room. Hey, my colleague 
who split his time between an urgent care and our hospital is now fully at our hospital because we had to send one of our older docs home to prevent him being exposed. Mm -hmm. But he was able to leave the urgent care because and fully devote his time to the hospital because people are now really being considered about, is this really an emergency? Is this really something I need to go see him for? And they're learning what they can live with. You know, I've said for years that one of the biggest problems with the utilization of emergency rooms and urgent cares is the loss of family structure. Uh, 50 years ago, you had a grandma at home. You had your mom who'd been through all these illnesses and could tell you, it's okay, you can take aspirin for that. Mm -hmm. You didn't need to run to a doctor to find out that you just had a cold because your grandma told you that. Mm -hmm. People are learning now, what's a cold? What am I really inconvenienced by? What could I be hurt by if I make the wrong decision about going and exposing myself to an urgent care in ER? Yeah. Makes makes, sense? It, it does. It makes a huge, huge difference. And I think we see, uh, I fathom what we have here in Appalachia as we, we have done that over the years. We are resilient people who have relied on our, our gumption to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and to pass information along. And while we may be seen from the outside world as a, a population that is uh, not as well off or not as smart. Backward. Backward. Hillbillies. Yes. All these, all, you know what I love about that? We all know the real truth. Mm -hmm. And that means we keep the riffraff out. That's right. I mean, let's talk about it for a minute. Let's talk about Dr. Hubner. Dr. Hubner has a master's in public health. He worked for three years at the United States Army uh, Infectious Disease Research Lab as an aeromedical evacuation specialist. He's spent years with highly contagious chemical biological warfare information. You know, we have depth in our group of people that are academics, that are people who are connected. We have engineers. We have people who are really sophisticated thinkers. And we live in West Virginia because either our families are here. I mean, my wife is a Southeast Ohioan, so I keep telling her you're not any that You know, Southeast Ohioans and West Virginians all think they're all different. We're but the I, same. I remind my wife that the ferries did go across the river and people did get back and forth. So I'm pretty sure the genes are about the same. But that said, we live here because of families, because of our, our devotion to our families. We like our families. We want to be in extended social networks where we know people. You can't, you know, if you're a foreigner, foreigner, if you're a foreigner and you come into West Virginia or Southeast Ohio, within within an hour, everybody knows you're there mm -hmm. because you're different. And people start saying, hey, who's there in town? And who's that person at the restaurant? Did you see that person over there? We get really good intelligence about who's running in and out of here yeah, we because do. we have good social networks. That is a great strength we have. It is. And that's one of the strengths that I think is going to see us through going forward. Oh, I know it will. Mm -hmm. I know it will. I know that that these tragic stories, I've just read the other day about a second soldier who died in Korea. And I, it may be COVID-related, a young person probably had respiratory distress, something, I don't know what it was, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna speculate too far, but it's really hard if you're a native for people not to be checking on you. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, we had, a, unfortunately, a family friend die just the other day, he was critically ill, he died in the hospital alone. But everybody knew what was going on with him. I hope he had the confidence before he died that people knew that he was in the hospital and that he was sick. We all did. It, it's, it's really amazing. And in fact, in OU, which is a little microcosm, so university towns are not, the, are not the place where they are. So Athens County, Ohio is not Athens, Ohio, Ohio University. There's a lot of people that don't have any connection to the county. And people are constantly, I, I listen to colleagues sometimes that seem really perplexed about how People know things, or they, 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 they come in and they have this knowledge. I'm saying, you don't understand how tribalism works, right? Oh, we are big tribes, 
everybody in the tribe knows what's going on because we have this the so-called jungle telegraph. We, we communicate. That's our mode. That's our principal mode of getting by is making sure we're touching base with people. The pop-in. Do you have pop-ins at your house? You know pop-ins when your mother-in-law shows up when you're getting out of the shower, you don't even know she's in your house? Yes, when I lived in Ohio, we had that. Pop-ins, right? So I, I detest pop-ins because I grew up in California. California, you don't even know your neighbor. All your friends mm-hmm. live 10 miles away because you're afraid of your neighbor, right? In, in, especially in Southeast Ohio, no one has any fences. I mean, school kids walk across my backyard. They just do. Mm-hmm. It's just public property, right? I got to go to school. Fredericks won't mind if I'm walking across his backyard. And in, as a Californian, I'm like, what are you doing in my yard? As an Appalachian, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You got to get to school. I get that. You're not causing any problems. That is, people don't think about that, but that's how we find things out. That's how we get to know what's going on. And that's how, that's why I don't expect too many grandmas to die alone without someone knowing what's going on with them. Because people are checking on them. Mm -hmm. Well, even your neighbor, well, Mary's up there in her house. I haven't seen her in a day or two. Let's go find out if she's okay. Yeah. People just do that. I think that happens a lot in the country. It's just, we're really, we're really, really used to it. Yeah. And we're doing more of that now. Even more so to protect the population. Well, I think we have guardsmen that do that. Do we have teams right now out there checking on people? Cat teams? Uh, not, not right now. Not right now. But that's one of the scenarios that we looked at is how are we doing health and welfare checks as well, especially in some of the more remote areas of the state. And I expect that, it, that as public health needs that support, that that will be a mission that occurs. Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't surprise me. Because we certainly do that during floods. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to pivot a little bit, and I want you to talk to us about Going forward, we, we've kind of highlighted some of the best practices, um, but what has been our role in preventing the spread between not only our soldiers and airmen, but the public in general? Is this self-serving, Holly Nelson? It is a little bit. <laughs> well, you know what's really awesome is that the West Virginia National Guard, and I didn't say Army, even though I'm a green suitor, the West Virginia National Guard, Holly, by the way, if you don't know who Holly is, Holly's a blue suitor. So I talk about a teal force. People say purple. It's teal. It's blue and green. I know that because my wife's an artist. Anyway, so the, the thing is, is that we have really good information dissemination. We have social media channels, and people are savvy about that. Because, and, and the reason why I'm working with you, Holly, and I'm not doing what Kermit does, is because I'm a person that deals in the world of visual and audio communication. Narrative is everything. I'm a person that is, my kids will tell you, about truth in my family. There was never any him and hawing. It was yes or no. I'm a truth person. But I also am sensitive to perceptions reality. Narrative matters. Optics matter. And our job is to get good truthful facts out as we know them. And I think public affairs does a really good job with that, with the West Virginia Facebook page, with um, you know Twitter feeds, with Instagram, with uh, this sort of networking of social media and other opportunities that we have to do our part to give people proper information. And the nice thing in West Virginia is, I think most West Virginians, when they see someone in uniform, are pretty happy about that. Yeah. We've given them, we've, we've spent years and years building capital with the people of West Virginia to know that we're the good guys, mm-hmm. that we're going to bring food to their kids, that we're going to dig them out of their house, that we're going we're gonna to help them when they're in a flooded river. We're going to do everything we can to take care of them. And so that empowers us to be able to give information that they will listen to because they trust us. And it's a, it's a powerful burden on us to make sure we don't ever lose that trust. Absolutely. Um, and we're using every resource that we have available to do that. And uh, this is just another one that we hadn't actually stepped into podcasting. But, you know, in these times of social distancing, people are turning to other resources to get their information. 
Um, and, and we can use this to help flatten that curve. And so what's your message to people going forward? Understand sick care and health care. You don't want to have to do sick care. So do health care. Social distancing. Hygiene. Looking in on your neighbors through phone calls or through, you know, distance barriers, just making sure you're keeping in communication with them. Thinking about your symptoms, understanding what really severe symptoms are so you don't run to the emergency room before you're ready to. And I would advise people to do this. If you're going, if you are really sick and you need help, call the paramedics 911 and say, I have a problem breathing. I'm having respiratory problems. Because that'll help our first responders to properly prepare for that, that run, minimize their use of PPE or make it more efficient so they know they're dealing with a person that might you might possibly be infected with and have COVID-19. That'll protect our first responders so they can continue to work and do good for other people. It'll also help let our ER people know what's coming in so they can be protected and start caring for people better. What I'm really concerned about is I think the number is about 30%. In 1918, 30% of healthcare providers and first responders died. Full stop. Died. We don't want that to happen. We want to protect those people so that we have the capacity to keep taking care of folks as they get ill. As we flatten that curve, it means that we'll have more cases longer, but we'll have, we'll have them at a rate that we can manage and take good care of them. And that all comes from when you go to Walmart, you don't yell at the people or the Sam's Club, you don't yell at the people who are telling you to get your wipe out and wipe your shopping cart and that you have to wait a few minutes for some more people to come out. That's all part of it. Social distancing and making sure that things are flowing and that we're not hoarding things, but we're sharing and we're doing those things in the proper way. Do you know what I hope if people listen to this that I really need? What's that? If anybody knows of a researcher, people have heard about this, how long SARS-CoV-2 lasts on surfaces like cardboard, etc. What we don't know is how long it lasts on those surfaces when exposed to direct sunlight. Because sunlight is a good sterilizer, it has UV radiation. But what I really want to know is be able to put out information saying, how long should you leave your perishable groceries outside in the sun to know that they're pretty well sterilized? I don't have that knowledge yet. Because that's another way that when you go your shopping, you can protect your home without using up all your Lysol if you don't have to. If I lay my packaging out in the sun and then I go out and I flip it over so everything gets bathed in sunlight for X amount of hours, that makes it safe. I'd really like to have that piece of information because then the perishable stuff like the cheese and the milk and that sort of stuff that I really can't leave out, um, I can use my wet wipes and my Clorox for that because that needs to be put away and cleaned up and refrigerated. Um, I think that's another thing, Paul, you might to think about is let's find some really good guidelines about if you have something in cardboard. I gave you that video the other day, and I think it's good stuff. The guy, the doctor out of Michigan, I don't know if you're going to link to it, but the doctor out of Michigan shows people how to properly separate their groceries and keep the, the demand on sterilization at a minimum. I think it's also good that we push general guidelines as we have good research of saying, for instance, right now in my garage at home, the cereal boxes are sitting out in the garage because on cardboard, I think the current guidelines is 24. Mm-hmm. I thought it was 72, but I, want, I, I don't want to misquote, but I think it's 24 hours that SARS-CoV can last on cardboard. Well, if I leave it out there for three days, the cereal doesn't go bad, mm-hmm. but it's not in my house. Mm-hmm. And then I can go out you know, appropriately do my thing and just keep pe- people at home safe. Gotcha. And I want some guidelines for mail too. I think a lot of us right now are spraying down our mail with glycol. We're laying it out. Uh, my father, my mother, and father are out in Utah and Salt Lake. Uh, they're 
they're taking their gloves, they're going out with a plastic bag, taking their mail, putting it in the bag, then they take it out and they, they lay it out on the porch. And dad just sorts out the junk mail in the trash right away with his gloves on. And then what's left, he usually hits it with some Lysol, waits a while, flips it over, hits it with some Lysol until it all dries, and then he comes and brings it home. I'd love to have these guidelines developed so that the next time this happens, we can just put that out. This is what you do. Yeah, I think those are all things that we're going to continue to to want to think through as, um, as we see the effects on all of society. How do we handle our mail? How do we handle our groceries? Um, for us, for service members, like if you're still out working, what do you need to do when you come home? Yes. Before you interact with your family, those types of guidelines. I want to make sure that we're getting our employers good yeah. information mm-hmm. and saying, if you're running a factory, this is how you can keep your workforce safe. This is this is good stuff. This is well, what you got to do. What are some of those things that people can do right now? It's still all the social distancing, still all the healthcare stuff we talked about, but also cleaning. Right? I saw some of our soldiers going around cleaning doorknobs. Mm-hmm. Doorknobs are like the filthiest thing in the entire room. If you, can, if you can avoid privacy issues by keeping the bathroom doors open so people don't have to touch them going in and out, mm-hmm. that's not just good for this COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 thing. It's also good for just pathogens and bacteria that people get on their hands when they don't properly wash, right? Because you touch that doorknob. Those types of things that help an employer keep his factory force working, knowing that they're safe when they're at work, and can keep that going, you know, um, I think uh, I think the social hygiene, think about truck driving, because we, we talk a lot about supply chain logistics, um, getting stuff across the country from suppliers overseas that are coming from ports in the West, on the Pacific or in the Atlantic. How do we protect the truck drivers that are interacting with this stuff? Well, the best thing is, is that they don't load their trucks, that they stay in their own environment, um, working in their own trucks, keeping their trucks clean and keeping themselves clean and let loading and offloading occur by someone else. Because if our truck drivers go down, now we got a real problem. Because yeah. trucks move everything. And train engineers, keeping our train engineers, typically speaking, train engineers aren't touching their loads, right? Those are those are the different thing. But truck drivers especially, making sure that they're protected with good health care type measures. Uh, what else do we would like to talk about that? Again, it's really important that employers know that. We have to keep the machine of, of industry working in this country. Mm-hmm. Because if not, then there will be a toilet paper shortage. Exactly. And I've got one today, and I'm hoping I can find some at Sam's today. Yeah. I just need to go buy one package. That's all. I just need one. <laughs> I just need one. And a, and a box of Clorox wet wipes and some Lysol. That's all I need. Who's willing to share? And that's just uh, reiterating that there's no need to hoard supplies right now. No. I think Kimberly Clark is still making toilet paper. Yes. Or whoever, Charmin, whoever. I don't want to say a brand. Just... The toilet people are making toilet paper. And nobody's shutting down the availability of going to the grocery store. We're just saying, don't don't go shop. Go get what you need. I saw that message this morning from uh, Camp Humphreys. In Korea. Uh, in Korea, where the commander yes. was out there telling people at the commissary, with good social distancing, we're limiting the amount of people that are going into the store at one time, but don't go in there and shop. You just go, know in your mind what it is that you need, get it, and then go out. Go back home. We don't need to be... Uh, meandering about like looking for Sunday stuff Sunday afternoon shopping at the Lowe's or shopping at Target you know get what you need and, and go back home it's also think about this too this is a silver lining to me this country is a country that has embraced debt for a very long time I think some months ago I looked at what the average home savings is and it's not good and I know that my buying habits have changed just myself and I'm one of those working people right now. I, we go with lists. Mm-hmm. 
we go with targeted lists. Um, and that will give us better discipline in our families about how to manage our budgets. Uh, that'll make us stronger and independently more resilient when we have the extra that we need to put into savings over time. This is a national security issue, right? Healthy families are a national security issue. Domestic manufacturing is a national security issue. Um, how we budget our home management is a national security issue because every little bit helps and, and takes less strain off of the bigger things in the country that have to occur. That's as much as I'll say about it because I'm not a politician. We have a two-star that is a politician. That's yeah. his job is to yeah. interact with politics. So it's, it's bad for me to go down that rabbit hole when we have someone whose job is to interact with politicians. I'm just saying a silver lining is it's going to make us rethink what we need when we need it. I know that at the end of this, Americans are going to really be thinking about civil defense. Into fall, people will start thinking, well, how do I get my pantry ready? Do I have four weeks of food? That's really great because now when something happens, you're like, great, I'm good. I can chill out for a little while. You know, I get my list together. That's really good. Um, I'm prepared. And oh, by the way, when people hoard, it makes people go out and look for stuff. We don't want them having to do that. We don't want them to go down the neighborhood and say, do you have a roll of toilet paper? I really need it because that's more contact that's unnecessary. More decon. Someone hands you toilet paper. You have to now handle that toilet paper yourself, and now there's a contact possibility. So by sharing and by making sure that, hey, we can get down there, especially these stores that have been great about letting the elderly shop in the morning. It's awesome. Now grandma doesn't have to go without because grandma, that generation isn't going to hoard. I can tell you that right now. The, the, the Depression, World War II people are not hoarding. They are so used to rationing in their childhoods. That was burned into their brains. Mm -hmm. They're going to get what they need, and they're going to leave for everybody else. So these people that you see, man, it makes me furious. I wish there was a way to publicly shame them. Because it, sharing is important. It is. Yeah. We all got to be looking out for one another, and we can't do that when we're, we're hoarding items. No, we cannot. At the grocery store. And it may hurt grandma. It may. Or grandpa. Um, so one of the things I wanted to, to hit on is the, the health of the force that we're doing and how people can implement that outside of what the National Guard is, has proposed. And, and that's just uh, the basics of, I would say, it boils down to taking care of one another and looking out and asking the questions. How are you feeling? Have you been in contact with anybody? Check your temperature. Do you have a fever? Do you have a cough? So those symptoms, we're looking out for those types of things. Yes. And we're turning people away in order to protect the force that we have here. Yes. But but we got to be careful. We're not turning people away. We're asking them to go home. Mm -hmm. And if they're talking their first-line supervisors, they can, in many cases, work from home and be part of the effort here. We're just being very cautious about how much we commingle because mm -hmm. we're used to commingling. We're used to being within a few feet of each other and having nice conversations. It's not turning them away. It's saying, look, right now, we got to keep you at home. And call your leadership, let them know what you're doing, let them know how you are, give them update status if you can every day. And when we have a tasker, if you have a special set of skills, tell us and we'll try to task you with it. We have people coming back from Poland right now. Did you know that? You did. One of the people coming back from Poland was a senior ranking medical officer in Poland. She's going to be working from home as she self-quarantines and helping us with some projects. So she's working, but safely away where she can be of a benefit, but still not put her family or us here in this group at risk. Absolutely. And that's an important thing for employers, right? Reevaluating re what can be done by telework. Mm -hmm. Trust your people. Most people are pretty devoted to their jobs. The workflow will look different. 
Because there will be the phone, the personal phone call that occurs at home. There will be the I got to get up and go to the bathroom and go make myself an egg sandwich. There will be there will be those things, but the work will get done. The productivity is probably even better. My productivity is off the charts in my home office. In fact, I'm terrified to even go back to med school because I sit there and I've got everything I need linked up. I'm answering things. I'm multitasking between military operations and civilian operations, and it's all where I need. And if I need to go get something to eat, I don't have to go downtown to get it. I walk to my kitchen, make myself a sandwich, and in 20 minutes, I'm back at work or I'm working while I eat. That goes to a bigger thing of the marathon. We need to get more into, hey, okay, I'm going to go get some takeout, and I'm going to go do that. But, yeah, we probably are more productive right now. Because guess what? Except for those of us who have small children at home who, that, are, navigating, that is true. who are navigating this, this unprecedented time. But we're making it work. I also have the luxury of attending the general's brief in my, um, my, my flannel American flag pajamas. <laughs> And I'm still cool because my brain doesn't. My brain doesn't have to dress up to go to work. That's right. uh, if the tag here is this general, you know that I, I'm doing the best I can. But but yes, I, I find my I right find now. myself very productive when I'm wearing my pajamas and a, a comfortable T-shirt, working on these things and talking to engineers and talking to other people. And it's okay because I'm not. I don't have a public presence with them, so I they don't know what I look like. That's right. Right. All that we care about is the work getting. Get done. the work done. That's Get all I care done. about. It's very liberating, actually. It's nice to, to understand that, that you know, we, we're seeing a whole dynamic shift of, across the world because we have to adjust to what is this new sense of normalcy. Presence. It's going to be different for a while. Well, think about a factory that has a management team and an administrative team and a floor production team. It may be that physical space can be smaller because do you need all those administrators actually at work? Can they be at home? And then you have less physical requirements in terms of space. We were talking about Microsoft Teams. I had a great interaction, surprisingly so, using Microsoft Teams. I, was, I felt like I was a better educator with my students because of the way we structured it. It may be that we're able to build smarter, more resilient factories, okay, by having separation between that stuff um, and, and necessary contact when needed but it may help organizations be even stronger because we disseminate that. Strategically, it's a really bad, well, tactically, it's a really bad idea to bunch all your assets up in one place. Mm-hmm. It's good to have them disseminated. They're harder targets to hit. And that way you have more depth and resources. When some when one node gets taken out, you still have a whole bunch out there that can work and pick up the slack. I think we're going to see a whole new a whole new world. Not to be cliche, but in, no, the, true, way that, in the way that we manage everything from personal hygiene um, we'll see a real new emphasis on should we be shaking everybody's hands, um, high-fiving all the time, do I need to hug people? I think people will actually understand how to wash their hands properly. Everybody's singing the uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. The or Happy Birthday. Absolutely. Baby Shark. No, I don't know how Baby Shark never ends, though. <laughs> so, so. Um, but they're, they're, they're thinking through, too, do I need to go to the hospital? All of these things that we've kind of talked about. Um, how about infectious disease? How many people, for years we've heard about 100,000 deaths a year, preventable deaths in hospitals, right? Nosocomial infection, N-O-S-O-C-O-M-I-A-L, nosocomial infection. Infection that you get from being in the hospital, going to go through the floor. Why? Because for the longest time, now my hospital's pretty good. We have 100%, believe it or not, we were monitored. We don't even know who's monitoring us. But people are watching us as doctors. We've had 100% hand-washing compliance for months before this because we're really good at it. 
we, we know that's important. We have a very vulnerable population in the psychiatric hospital. We want to protect them. A lot of them have a lot of health problems. We are going to see infectious disease rates in hospitals plummet because now, for the first time, people, it's for reals. Doctors and nurses and techs have been red-pilled up. They understand, red pill meaning you know the truth. That's from the movie The Matrix. Uh, they, have, they know what a failure of hygiene can do. And so I anticipate that you will rarely see a doctor that isn't washing their hands aggressively with patient care or nurses or techs. That is going to reduce the rate of in-hospital infections and make people better off in general. That's awesome, isn't it? It is awesome. And our population as a whole is going to be more informed. Um, I, I hate to um, compare it to what happened after Hurricane Katrina, but this is kind of like a, a national reckoning. This is, we're going to understand we weren't, uh, not that we weren't prepared, but uh, we know now what to expect. And we will be better prepared in the future. So as a person who is eccentric and doesn't get invited to a lot of parties because I always talk about the wrong things, it's true. But I'm also an introvert, which means I'm happy not to be invited to parties. I get to work in my wood shop and go fly airplanes and stuff. For, for years, when I was a younger doctor, we never had shortages of medications. We didn't. You, you never heard about Benadryl being short supply. We use Benadryl in the hospitals, too, not just out of, you know, for when, you're, when you have a cold, right? We use it in hospitals all the time. In, my, in the last 20 years, 20 to 30 years, I've seen progressively more frequent shortages of medications. This is because 20 to 30 years ago, we started this process of outsourcing manufacturing from this country for a lot of reasons. And again, I don't want to get into the political realm. I'm just saying we're going to really rethink about who we want making our medications, who we want making our PPE. Do we want to, do we want to have tests that we can't trust are really good? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to be good American engineers and manufacturers making really good stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, I have craftsman tools that are made in the United States of America and they never wear out, right? And I buy more of them, right? Uh, American manufacturing, when it's tested, does a really good job. It may cost us a few pennies more, but we save on the far end because we don't have to worry about entire lots of medication being gone or delaying surgeries because the medications aren't available or or not being able to do what we need to do with PPE because we outsource it all to other countries because we thought we were going to save a few bucks. We're going to have a complete rethinking of how we design hospitals to make it more hygienic to make it able to accommodate something like this where we don't have air handling systems that recirculate stuff all through everywhere, right? We're going to be able to open windows in hospitals. Um, I've talked about this till I'm, till I'm blue in the face, but it's, my, but it's finally time. I've been talking about this for years. It doesn't make sense how we do things. And now people are listening. And this is the time we start making plans to do the right thing. Um, you know, I think about that. Why don't we have, why doesn't every major hospital corporation have two to four weeks of PPE on surge on surge levels in reserve in their warehouses. Mm-hmm. We will, I bet we will. I'll now. bet we will now, mm-hmm. right? Across the nation. Um, the other day, a, I was listening to someone tell me about a story of someone, a, a hospital administrator, talk about how PPE was walking. Yeah, I've heard that too. I'm not going to mention any names. Someone can dig it up if they want to. It's not my place. But I'll bet you people get a real good control about who gets distributed what. Supply chain management, inventory control. Right? Who, why? It's not that you can't have it, but do you need to have it? And if you have it, I know you have it. Mm-hmm. So that people can't just walk off, again, not sharing. I'm going to take it for mine. No, that's not going to happen. Or We're going to try to make a profit. Oh, yeah. Like the, the hand sanitizer dude that mm-hmm. bought the 17,000 gallons of hand sanitizer, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Holly? I think, I think we're good. So what's our way forward? Our way forward is to be good people. 
I have a Mr. Rogers bobblehead on my desk at work. So one thing I want people to do as part of healthcare, and this is serious, this is dead serious, okay? And it's not just eccentric Dr. Frederick's talking. I want you to go watch It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And I want you to think about who Mr. Rogers was, um, what Fred Rogers embraced as an individual, about truly caring about other people. I'm almost, I'm going to cry because it's so touching to me. And as my wife and I were watching that film, she kept saying that's just the way he was in his show. Tom Hanks did a brilliant job with that, by the way. Um, we need to embrace our inner Mr. Rogers and put away our petty differences and our political concerns and all that other stuff about how awful the president is or how great the president is, whatever you're doing, whatever your world you're living in. I'm going to tell you right now that the senior executive officer of this country is doing absolutely everything that he can do to make things work. I know that because I listen to what's happening with supply chain management. The senior leadership of your state is doing everything that they can do to make this better. So quit sharpshooting them. They're, they are overwhelmed with trying to make things better. And when they say a word that doesn't come off right or offend sensibilities, you need to embrace your inner Mr. Rogers and say, that's a person working with extraordinary circumstances, trying to do the best that they can. And just because I don't like hearing what they have to say doesn't mean they're not in the background doing everything that needs to be done. Embrace your inner Mr. Rogers. Share, care about people, care about getting the right solution and the right information. It's really important. I watch our senior leaders. I know what my work, I mean, I was raised in medicine. I used to work 36 hour shifts. I used to, you know, we have embrace the suck, right? I'm a soldier. You can take more, you can take more, you can take more. I watch our senior leaders, and what I know is they will break down and they're still in leadership. And what I don't want is a senior leader breaking down, whether it's a military leader, a civilian leader, I don't want them breaking down mentally, emotionally, or physically to the point where they're now making flawed errors in judgment. We need to back them and support them and quit criticizing them for the short term because there's plenty of time retrospectively to look at how we did or didn't do. But right now we need to support them and give them, give them the bandwidth where they can see the reassurance that things are being done and not, because it, you feel it. You know, Holly, as a doctor, if I have one patient complaint out of a thousand it hurts. It, it hurts. Racism's hard. You say, what did I do wrong? You never look at the 999. Mm -hmm. My wife tells me every day about people who think I'm a great doctor, and I think, well, that's nice. I see the one negative comment because I was off or I was tired and I said something untoward and someone took it personally, and I just think about it. Well, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do it. Leaders are no different. They're not indifferent. They're not sadistic or masochistic or any of those horrible things. They're not people that hate the people that they're leading. They're people who really want to do everything right. And so embrace your inner Mr. Rogers on the state, local, community level, national level, and be part of the affirmation, reaffirming good things, telling people, yes, this is going to get better. It's not Pollyannish because we are working. We're talking to engineers. We're talking, we're designing stuff. We're doing everything we can. What we need is the feedback of what works and what doesn't. And we need it in a way that's not hate-filled, that's objective. Hey, this mask doesn't work right for nurses because the elastic is chafing the backs of their ears. Okay, let's make it out of strings instead. That doesn't get behind their ears and they can continue to work. That's the kind of positive, constructive feedback we need that's not hate-filled and not productive. Yeah. We're seeing uh, a lot of the best of people coming out. Sure. And, uh, and we're also seeing, too, is um, take personal ownership. What can you individually do to help prevent this spread? Is it staying home? Yes, absolutely. 
practicing personal hygiene. Yes, if you're seeing start your garden. If you see something, say something. Start your garden. Yeah. Get out and start tilling the ground and start growing something and making your making you know start learning how can I become more self sufficient. How can I do things and build up my own capacity so that then I have extra to give to others when I need to? Yeah. And, and know that we're going to get through this. Of course we will. Yeah. We went through the 1918 flu pandemic. It killed 50 to 100 million people worldwide. It was horrible. But America still persevered. Mm-hmm. We went to the moon. We've done, we've, we went through World War II. And tragically, 285 or so thousand Americans gave their life for that. But what, what did we do? We persevered. And we will again. Of course we are. We are now. Yeah. Yeah. So the, my one last push is... Oh, is this uh, the wrap-up since we've been going for a long period of time? Yes. Are we on the an hour? The wrap-up is Two hours? we have a ton of resources available. And if there are resources that we can produce that are going to help people, then let us know. But um, check out our social media channels, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, West Virginia National Guard. You can look it up. We have a YouTube channel as well where we're pushing out videos about proper hygiene. What is um, COVID-19? How do you prevent it? What are the symptoms? All of those things. How do I handle containers? We just posted a video last night about proper handling of boxes and containers. Thumbs up. Um, how do we do health screenings? Um, anything and everything that, is, uh, that we're, we're thinking through, we're making videos about it, we're sharing information, it's on our social media channels. Um, if there's something that we're not talking about, let us know. Yes. And if you have questions that we can answer, shoot us those questions too. Direct message us. Uh, I'm the one behind the, the face behind the social media pages. Um, and more importantly, we appreciate the feedback from people. Um, we love hearing from everybody, and we love getting great messages saying how much they appreciate the West Virginia National Guard. So just know that we're all here working tirelessly um, to get you the information that you need and to answer your questions and to support the state going forward. So That's a good place to close, Holly. Yeah. I think it's great. Okay. Facebook likes. All of it. We want Facebook likes and Twitter retweets. We, yeah, we want our analytics. We want the analytics. Thank so, you, Holly. Thank you.